0: Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Welcome back, or welcome to the Peak 40 Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Bubbs. In today's episode, we're going to dive into a topic I get asked all the time about from clients, and that's what are the best blood tests and biomarkers to assess your health? Is it worth taking the deep dive for expensive and highly granular testing? Well, like most things in health and nutrition, it's very nuanced. And in today's episode, you'll hear a conversation I had with Dr. Richard Moore all about lab testing what to prioritize, and what traps to avoid. Before we get started, this episode is sponsored by Peak 40 Coaching. In 2022, we had some great client stories and results from our three Peak 40 Coaching groups in the winter, spring, and fall. In this clip, you'll hear from John and how the Peak 40 program impacted him.
1: The biggest thing and just, I guess, for other clients for me is how easy it has been to get back on after things falling apart, right? Because um, you know, I had a lot of stress happen and a lot of stuff happened. And usually it would be, that's when I put weight on and things go back bad. Um, but in this case it was like, okay, let's just focus back on the morning. And so that, that process is, is fantastic and easy to go back and just go, okay, this is the first step, get there. And then like within a
0: week, I'm back to the whole thing, which was crazy. This is a really important point. A major roadblock for a lot of clients in achieving their goals is that progress isn't linear and feedback isn't immediate. Life is going to get busy, so you can't just have a plan. You need to have a system that you can come back to that makes it easy to get back up and get back on track. We're opening up registration for our January 2023 Peak 40 Coaching Program right now. You can reserve your spot and save $150 off the cost of the 12 week course just head over to drbubscom forward slash p 40, use the promo code 2023 at checkout, that's 2023 at checkout, and you'll be all set to start your journey in the new year. All right, let's get started. Enjoy the episode. Rich, thanks so much for taking the time today. Mark,
1: it's really a pleasure to be here. Thank you
0: if we kick things off here to talk about, you know, lab tests for assessing health and longevity and perhaps the the best diet, can we start with, you know, defining HOMA-IR and and what it's measuring in folks?
1: Sure, so this is HOMA-IR. HOMA HOMA is not very important for most people. That's the method that the test is done. Um, uh, But the IR refers to insulin resistance, right? And that's the calculation to quantify insulin resistance. The reason this calculator is helpful is to find those people who have wonderful glucose control because their pancreas is in overdrive, right? They're, they're producing very high insulin, and conventional medicine is, every conventional practitioner is using the type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes metrics. Their only metric is glucose. Right. They're, they're fixated on hyperglycemia being the definition for when type 2 becomes an issue. But many people are, I'd say, about of all the type 2s, about 40% of them are hyperinsulinemic. They produce a lot of insulin to help them get their glucose in check. Yes. So these are people who are putting on abdominal body fat. They're people who have high liver enzymes because they have excess liver in their uh, excess fat in their liver, right? That high triglyceride will be in their blood profiles They'll have a low HDL because the livers congested in its normal function um, Presumably because of the fatty liver disease um, So they're being blamed by their doctor for putting on weight putting on abdominal body fat and if they don't watch it, they're gonna get uh, Pre-diabetic the fact is they're already essentially pre-diabetic even though their fasting blood sugar is a perfect 88 But their insulin is going to be 12, 14, 16. It's going to be well above 10. So that high insulin, if you run it in the calculator, insulin times glucose divided by 405 gives us this number. The goal is to have it as close to one as possible. Fit athletes are generally going to be less than one. You know, so many people in that primal paleo community, and when you're really restricting that carbohydrate intake, we expect those baseline insulin levels to be quite low. You know, two, three, four, five are not uncommon insulin levels on a fasting blood test. Um, and this is in I'm I'm using this in uh, U.S. terms. I know you're in um you're in Toronto right now, right? Yeah, in Canada,
0: obviously yeah, England okay. as well, and we'll, we could do the con- we'll use the link as well for the conversion for the international yes, news for folks. There, so don't worry about that.
1: Very good, and of course at the Blood Code, I do have some of those uh, conversion links. But um, what we're talking about here when I say um, let me do a quick, it's going to it's generally that uh, times six, right? So an, an insulin of um, three, when I say that's kind of the lower side of healthful insulin, that's an eighteen picomole per liter perfect. Right. So my my systemic internationals, um, I generally want to see it below uh, 50 in the international units. Of um, course,
0: a great early marker as well to kind of see when these trends are moving in that direction. And um, when you refer to, the, to getting uh, these measures done, is this going to be in the fastest state then for folks if they're going to get this test run?
1: Yes. You know, years ago, I used to do the um, glucola drink. They drink 75 grams of sugar in a straight, you know, I think it was only orange flavored uh, at the lab. And then they would sit down, be passive for two hours, and I would have a one hour glucose and insulin and a two hour glucose and insulin. And I was being quite thorough in my testing. Um, after about five, 10 years of doing that, I never really caught anyone that I wouldn't have caught with just the fasting test and the A1C. So if I run a fasting hemoglobin A1C, which is irrelevant of, of fasting, a fasting glucose, and then a fasting insulin, um, I can see the trend towards sugar. And I didn't need that postprandial challenge. Yeah, that's great. So Make glucose it easier for,
0: for folks to get it tested. Compliance goes up, all that kind of good stuff, right?
1: It was exactly it. Um, uh, the compliance to sit there and many people who are already moving towards avoiding sugars, I started realizing, why am I testing them with a 75 gram sugar bomb? For sure. <laughs> they already struggle with it. So it's they're uh... <laughs> already struggling with it. So then I was using a uh, 60, 50 gram meals, uh, using, um, kind of bread or rice as the gram load. And it was getting just so complicated. Um, uh, the fasting test works 99.9% of the time.
0: And if we dovetail that into the, the A1C there, Doc, can you discuss um, what the A1C is measuring and, and again, what kind of uh, levels you're looking for?
1: Sure. The, um, you know, glycosylated hemoglobin, we call it the hemoglobin A1C. It's a calculation from that. We use the percentage in the U.S. So uh, your U.S. listeners are going to be looking for anything below 5.7% as the non-pre-diabetic level. Um, that is... Uh, below 39 millimoles per mole, um, uh, international units. So we generally wanna see that in that lower range. It's pretty common to see the pre-diabetic pattern in someone and this sometimes shows up when I'm first treating someone with a very low carb diet. Their insulin will drop and temporarily their sugars will go a little higher. Um, this, is, uh, this was actually my family effect this was the um, I'm from a family of thin diabetics, so we tend to not be the obese type We tend to produce lower insulin, but we have body tissues that are insulin resistant So we'll have low insulin hyperglycemia so in my early 40s when my um, Hemoglobin a1c was up at about 6.1 percent, which is right in the middle of prediabetes. diabetes um, you know, this is a number of uh, let's say 42, 43 millimoles per mole for international units. Um, you know, enough where it opened my eyes. My mother was type two diabetic at 60 years old. So it was strong in my family, even on my father's side, it showed up. So um, I had to address it actually by building muscle mass. So when I saw that high blood sugar, but the low insulin and my fasting blood sugars were just slightly high, they were just over 100 um. Milligrams per deciliter. Um, so my my treatment was to correct my A one C was actually to build more muscle mass um, to work out not by running and biking. You know, I had to give up my triathlon days and uh, go to the weight room more. Um, for I sure, had to change I mean, how I muscles. You know, the this. massive
0: glucose sink, which is uh, yeah, phenomenal for helping to correct some of that stuff
1: that's it for, for whatever it was, my size, my genetics, uh, you know, my physical nature. Um, I, I needed to balance my leanness by treating myself more like a bodybuilder, not like a long distance runner, even though I'm built like, and from a family of marathoners. Um, they're just not healthy, long lived marathoners, which you and I might add that not many are. <laughs> it's a tough, but, you know, the nature
0: of the training, the volume so high, and of course the traditional practices are pretty carb heavy in terms of loading, uh, which is tremendous obviously on a race day, but I think, uh, you know, if, especially for recreational athletes and in terms of the training, nutrition, we yeah. can definitely, we know that we can do better these days with helping to maintain some of these markers, which you've talked about, the home IR, the HA1C. Exactly. Is there a range right. that you're looking for, for, for the HA1C to, to uh, let, let, you know, that the diet's on point for, for your clients?
1: Yeah. So I I see it in two ways. Um, people with higher insulin are actually going to have lower A1Cs. So this is where that HOMA IR comes in. It's kind of helpful, right? So if you have high insulin, I'll very often see someone who's centrally obese with fatty liver disease and their A1C is at 5.2%. You know, it's, it's down around, oh, 31, um, 32 millimoles per mole. Um, you know, these are really well controlled, very non-diabetic patterns if you just look at the a1c but then you'll see the fats getting stored in the liver the triglyceride hdl ratio is three to one they're carrying central obesity if you're using skin fold calipers you'll see that if you're using body mass analyses you'll see just a higher than optimal body fat percentage Um, so the a1c is sort of for the lean diabetics um, as long as i get them to 5.7 or less That's great. I tend to hover at 5.7, 5.8. So I'm actually in that 39 to 40 millimoles per mole. Um, You know, I'm borderline pre-diabetic. But for me, that's my that's my zone. That works great for me. And the research really supports it's not like the lower, the better look out, watch out for the online jargon. We always fall into the trap of the lower, the better. And someone's always going to print an article in some magazine saying, well, if prediabetes is this, let's not shoot for normal, let's shoot for low normal. For and uh, sure.
0: very, I've seen very some, well said
1: uh, uh, staggering how many times I've seen that a one C recommended online that we should be 5.2% or lower, um, To say everyone should be 30 millimoles, 32 millimoles or less is just crazy talk. Um, There's no evidence to support longevity related to that whatsoever.
0: It's a great comment on the nuance of all this. And I'm glad you brought up the, you know, also measuring the home IR as well, because obviously in... Uh, traditional settings, just using that HA1C on its own is typically the practice and assuming that we can get all the information yes. we need from that one marker. So a great, mm-hmm. great point there of just having more information to really be able to steer and make sense of of the information. And of course, you, you mentioned there the, the triglyceride to HDL ratio. Can you walk folks through why that's uh, important for assessing cardiovascular health?
1: Oh, very good. Um, there is a tremendous volume of research showing that triglyceride hdl is a vastly better metric than uh, ldl cholesterol for predicting who's going to have the next heart attack um it's a standalone risk factor so it's not that it's related to cholesterol it stands on its own it's that triglyceride hdl if i take it apart to define it to me it's the it's the internal metabolic leanness that someone's carrying in their bloodstream
0: Oh, a great, great point, Doc. And um, that, that easily dovetails into my next area here. We're talking recovery, or even obviously with metabolism, but thyroid markers often used in assessing athletic recovery. But as we talk about this idea of longevity and metabolism, where do some of those markers come into
1: play? Oh, we might be opening up a little Pandora's box, but <laughs> Go I'm, for I'm it. more than willing to do this with you. And, uh, you know, I know so many, uh, so many podcast listeners are at a high level of um, understanding. So, T4, T3 conversion slows down with athletic effort, um, sustained athletic effort. uh, This is the wonder of the less than 20-minute workouts. Uh, You can work out pretty hard for 15, 18 minutes, and your T3 never drops. Your body never – even though you've heated up, your body never sees this as a threat to your capital, right? Your threat to your body. So the, the internal thermostat just doesn't turn down. We, we maintain a basal metabolic rate where we were. Soon as that's maintained over 20, 25 minutes, especially in warm environments, you know, someone swimming in a warm pool is far more likely to have a thyroid reduction um, effect than someone in a cooler pool. Um, and this has been copied in just about every uh, environment that you could test. Um, that T4, T3 shutdown will raise reverse T3. It'll lower free T3. Um, and that will stay that way for up to easily 24 hours, um, where the basal metabolic rate is, uh, significantly slower after those hard workouts, um, sustained heating up, uh, workouts. Um, we look at that as part of our Metabolic recovery, so it's one of those signs that if once t3 bounces back We're probably ready to do another workout, but not before then and it um, I was say in
0: terms of your uh, general screen then if you're gonna run a test on somebody would you jump in with with multiple tests there? Would you start with the TSH or how does that look?
1: I? Do I have the I have the full yeah. gamut even for my progress checks so I run a TSH free t4 free t3 and reverse t3 Um, You know, I I love to see that because I'm usually – I'm looking for those amateur – I'm going to use the word over-recover – or under-exercisers, or excuse me. I'm usually looking for the over-exercisers, but I'm going to rename that under-recoverers, but that's hard to say. Absolutely. yeah, Um, It's amazing how, uh, (laughs) you
0: know, obviously we always – even the term overtraining is sort of misused even at the elite level of this idea of capacity to recover being so key. And of course, as you mentioned, the thyroid right. markers just being a, a great uh, sense of that. And of course, people who have metabolic dysfunction, they're, they're inducing a whole type of stress that's almost the equivalent to exercise from, from just being um, in, in poor health as well. And sometimes that can influence some of those markers as well. Can you speak to that client right. who's potentially, you know, holding on to 20 or 30 pounds, abdominal adiposity, how that, how that might impact some of those markers?
1: Oh, the, um, uh, I don't know if I'm going to answer your question. Right. Um, the, the, the insulin resistance, the reason I, I had one content editor early on when writing the blood code and she said, I think you may need to take the thyroid stuff out of the book and make that a separate, that'll be, you know, edition three. Um, you know, make it a different book, get it out of there. So I took it out. I tried writing the blood code without talking about thyroid. And after about six weeks, I couldn't do it. I had to bring the thyroid. So I dovetailed it all back in. Um, the reason is those people who have the hypothyroid trait are about twice as likely to have, um, insulin resistance in their blood markers. So, you know, and, and I think that's we'd have to talk more, um, uh, you know, ancestral vulnerabilities to understand that, right? The the same environmental traits over the past uh, hundred thousand years has favored uh, both of those traits. One is to um, burn less of your equity, and the other is to store more with what you do get. So one is save more. The other is spend less for sure. So hypothyroid you're going to be spending less with a slightly slower basal metabolic rate. You're, so you're spending less at rest. Um, exercise is the great equalizer, you know, at exercise, we're all burning the same, whether we approach, uh, whether we come into it slightly hypothyroid or not, you know, once you're into it 20 minutes, you're all burning the same, uh, given the same physical qualities. Um, So, uh, the thyroid isn't, ironically, the thyroid itself isn't usually the driver. So when someone's carrying extra weight, um, 10 years, up to 10 years ago, I was using a lot of thyroid hormone therapies to try and be an adjunct. If someone had slightly borderline hypothyroid, I'd be treating them. Um, the fact is I never saw it work. Um, and I'm, I had my entire functional medicine community supporting that practice. And I actually think it's a failed practice. Our body is so good at deactivating thyroid that as we, as practitioners try to increase thyroid dosing, when the fundamental problem is, um, either a dietary or nutritional or perhaps not even a problem. It's, it's the body doing its job trying to preserve capital. Um, we're trying to dose higher and higher thyroid and the body's just increasing its deactivation
0: yeah it's great great point something that i so, see as well so much is just um almost an overinterpretation of what's going on and, and sort of the functional medicine or naturopathic side of some of these thyroid uh, quote unquote conditions or when a client comes in and say says my, yes. my thyroid is sluggish or i think there's something wrong with my thyroid then you know as you mentioned when we get back to diet and sleep and stress management and getting the right training protocol going all of a sudden Thyroid markers
1: can just sort of come back into line as we start to see uh, patient success. Yeah, I've seen this over and over. Uh, T4, T3 levels, especially the T3 levels, uh, bounce back up when I either adjust their fitness program to allow better recovery or change their diet so that um, their their body fat storage. I have to explain to them what's happening with that lower T3. That they're burning less calories, not all the time, but at rest. So they really aren't the people to be eating dessert. Um, They're really not the people who need pre and post-workout smoothies or meals. Um, And that'll go against the stream of what they've heard in numerous other settings. So again, I use these biomarkers, I use these blood tests as a way of saying, um, this isn't my opinion against your nutritionist or your trainer or your functional medicine practitioner or someone who's given you nutritional advice. this is what's happening in your body. Let's work with it. Um, and make those, a uh, make those subtle adjustments. Great, great um,
0: stuff. Great stuff
1: talking. And, and, and I'll add, you mentioned the longevity, lower T3 is associated with longevity. So we actually don't necessarily want to drive someone's T3. There is this sort of sense in the natural health community that we want to have higher thyroid function, like low function is all bad. Um, once you're, You know, should any listener have reached um, the the young age of 75, from 75 onward, you want your free T3 levels down at the, um, oh, two and a half or less. Uh, These are the picograms per liter. This will be, say, point – what would it be in yours? 4.0 picomoles per liter, which sounds like a low – free T3, but actually that's your, that's your target. Um, you know, it's, it's totally good to have a low T3. It just means that you're probably going to feel sluggish and you're probably going to put on weight easier if you don't exercise at all. So we have to introduce as clinicians, the bad news that they're, um, they need to exercise every day. <laughs> they need to live an active yeah, life. It's amazing which how is, movement
0: is so key to a lot of things. If we get people moving and moving the right way, then, uh, and we can, we can fix a lot of things and a lot of dysfunctions, right?
1: That's right. Um, we, we're we probably doing, doing it wrong when we sit our patients down in the office and then try to talk to them about their metabolism. <laughs> for sure.
0: <laughs> terrific, terrific. Great stuff, Doc. And, uh, you know, the last question for you here, the biggest take-home message for listeners on this health and longevity front, um, what would that be?
1: My recommendation is to always keep a, an open mind. Use metrics to make sure what you are doing is in the right direction and while we want to take in a lot of this information it's not faith-based um we don't have to believe in the one thing um we have to measure and be open to tweaking over and over again and if that means um you know the ultra low carb paleo diet isn't working for someone like, great you know bring some bread back in um you know i'm uh, I did that just yesterday with someone, uh, you know, she's had a fabulous success, but after two, three years in the diet and exercise, the way she was doing it, um, she was crashing just low energy, low very low libido and, um, uh, you know, just gut was feeling all turned upside down. Um, so we had to back away from what was very successful in the prior five years of her life and make big adjustments and- that has, that has actually been working great. So it's oh, and she looked at me saying, but that's impossible because this is working. And I had to say, well, true, but. Dynamic thing is sort of th- things evolve. Dynamic and- thing, you're, you're not the same person, uh, you know, hitting 52 years old for a woman, you're gonna expect that what you were doing five, 10 years ago is probably not what you'll be doing for the next five to 10 years. So, um, for a pearl for longevity, I'm usually going to say, you know, it's the pearl is to pivot when needed and, uh, you know, use the measurements and use your guides and, um, explore an experiment. And I think, you know, people running podcasts, uh, that would be you, Mark, um, are incredibly valuable for us all because we, can use this information to sort of make little adjustments in our lives and then hopefully make a measurement to see whether it was healthful or not and keep pivoting. So longevity I think is uh, about plasticity and uh, a work in motion and I am yet a fellow traveler um, with your listeners.
0: Fantastic. That's tremendous, uh, tremendous insight there. I think that's a great tip for folks. Um, And of course all your great information here today I think can help a lot of people as well. So where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all your terrific work and research?
1: Great. I'll be um, I am at uh, Facebook uh, at Blood Code. Um, Thebloodcode.com is usually the best way to get in touch. Uh, You know, my email is connected there. I am on Twitter with um, infrequent posts, but uh, they're present. And that is uh, Dr. Richard Maurer.
0: Terrific. I'll definitely include all those links uh, here in the show notes at drpubs.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for everyone else tuning in. If you have any questions for Dr. Moore and want to leave a comment on today's episode, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. Keep those comments coming. They're greatly appreciated. And of course, if you enjoyed the show, take a minute, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite platform. Terrific. Thanks everyone. And see you guys all next week.